Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in on an episode that I feel is so important. Um, Before I really get into the subject matter though, I just want to take a moment uh, to say that this episode is dedicated to Yasmina Radosevic and her memory. She was my mentor and teacher and she was incredibly knowledgeable. Tragically, on September 29th, 2018, she, her husband Steve, and her youngest daughter Anya perished in a house fire. Their eldest daughter, Mia, survived but has truly lost everything. There has been a GoFundMe that was established for her education and care. I will have the link in the description, but if you want, you can go to GoFundMe.com slash and definitely donate um, any proceeds that I receive from the sponsorship of this episode will be donated. I miss her more and more every day, and the world truly lost an incredibly knowledgeable and powerful witch when she passed. If you're online and in any spiritual group worth its salt, you've probably seen posts in there about ancestral veneration or people discussing what to put on an ancestral altar or prayers to elevate them, maybe even food offerings to give them. If you're a complete beginner to all of this, don't panic. I'm going to go over some of the most basic things to do and discuss why you should start venerating your ancestors if you're not doing it already. So I guess the first place to start is what is, what are we talking about when we talk ancestral veneration? What is ancestral veneration? Ancestral veneration is exactly that. You are venerating your ancestors. You are praying to your ancestors. You are elevating them in the afterlife. Um, You are praying to your god or gods for forgiveness of their sins, and you are elevating them. You are honoring them. You are honoring the sacrifices that they made during their lives so that you could live the beautiful and privileged life that you currently live now, which you may not feel that, but if you're in a country or in a place where you can listen to my voice on an electronic device right now, you are incredibly privileged. And I'm not saying that because you're listening to me. I'm saying it because if you really think about the history of humanity and like plagues and wars and famine and all of these things, not saying that our world is perfect now, but just the advances simply in me- in nutrition and medical technology where we've eradicated certain diseases and we have vaccines and we have all of these amazing advancements in technology you know if your heart fails you can get a transplant or an artificial heart you know in 10 years they might be able to 3d print one it's in it's crazy it's amazing but anyway not to go off on a tangent you are venerating your ancestors. You are thanking them and then you are praying to them and asking them to work for you, to to help you while they're in the afterlife. But really, the main thing is that you are honoring them. So now this leads to the next question, which is 
well, how do I do that? And what's an ancestral altar? I heard you mention an altar. What is that? What do I do? So an ancestral altar is, um, if you're new to um, the more pagan and Wiccan kind of, I'm not going to say Wiccan, but just non-Abrahamic faiths, (laughs) that path, right? Um, You know that you usually have an altar where you may perform your spiritual works, your spell work, whatever you do. Well, an ancestral altar is completely dedicated to just your ancestors. There will be no icons or pictures or statuettes of any other deities, spirits, etc. on there. Um, You can have photos of your ancestors. Um, Make sure that there's no photos of living and deceased people mixed in the photos. So for example, I have a photo of my great grandmother and, you know, other relatives in my, in my family, but they're photos of just them. There's no photos of me and them together because I am very much alive and I intend on staying that way for quite some time. So you can put photos of them on there. Um, you can, so my grandparents on my father's side were Catholic and I have one of my grandmother's uh, rosary beads. So those are on there. Um, sometimes I pray with her, the prayers of the rosary for her because I, her and my grandfather, that's what they liked. They were Catholic. Um, occasionally I'll get flowers for them and I'll give them flowers Um, You can put, this is basically what it is, is it's a space for your ancestors. It is a space where you can come to them, you can leave them offerings, you can pray with them. It, It is their dedicated space, okay? Which is why I'm saying if you choose to honor and venerate your ancestors. This is not something that you can just start doing and then say, eh, six months from now, I'm not really going to, you know, be into this. No, 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 no. This is your bloodline. Okay. These people are all around you and in your life, whether you realize it or not. So if you're going to start taking the time out to really venerate them and honor them and work with them, it's a lifelong commitment. Which, you know what, these people probably raised you and they sacrificed in their lives so that you could live and do well. So the least you can do is pray to them and pray for them, right? So that is, you know, the basics of an altar. So let's go into that. What are some basic things that you can put on your ancestral altar? Um, This also leads to... Other questions, where is an appropriate place to have an ancestral altar? You know, so in my previous episode, I mentioned that I moved, I was moving. So when I was living with my family, my ancestral altar was in my bedroom. Your bedroom is not really an appropriate place to have an ancestral altar. The reason being is that is a place where they will be like all the time you have to think of it as this is their space and so if you're in your bedroom and you are naked and getting dressed or you're 
having sexual relations with your partner, it's basically like you're doing it with them in the room with you. And that's really disrespectful. It's not right. I, when I had first started doing ancestral veneration, my bedroom was the only place I can have it. I gave them a tiny corner of a shelf that I had. I put pic photos up of them. And one of the things that I prayed to them for was if I told them, I said, if they helped me get to a place where I could financially move out on my own, then I would give them a proper place, not in my bedroom. So if they were not happy with being in my room with me and they didn't like it, you know, not that I was having intercourse or anything, <laughs> you know, I've, you know, been by myself for a while and I'm cool with it. So, um, I told them, I said, if you don't like it though, then help me propel this. That's my, my deal. You know, that was my thing. So, and now, now they, they do, they have a beautiful uh, table out, outside of my bedroom, you know, and all their photos are up and everything. And I, they're happy. I'm happy. Everything is really great. So, um, so what I would say is if you are in a situation, let's say like you're in a, in a college dorm or you're renting a bedroom, let's say maybe you only have one bedroom and you have a shared living space. If you have to put it in your bedroom, um, I would say you can. It's not optimal. It's not ideal. You really shouldn't. What you can do is you don't have to even have a shelf or a tabletop. You can have pretty much like a mobile altar. So you have to remember something. Your ancestors are with you at all times. Whether you really want them there or not, they are around you. They are in your blood. They are a part of you. Okay? So... The, an ancestral altar is really just a space for them. And like I said, a space for you to leave offerings. I know people that due to their living situations, they can't, they don't really have like an altar at all times. One, someone I know had even made a suggestion that when they were on hard times, what they did was they actually used like an empty Altoid mint tin and they just put a couple of photos of their family in there maybe like a prayer or two in there and when they wanted to to do their prayers for their ancestors they would just open it and just look at it and do you know do their prayers and then they closed it up and kept it in a safe spot that works you know an altar is really a you know like if you're going to light incense for them or leave them food. I have friends that they don't even, they, they may have an altar upstairs. When they make their ancestors a cup of coffee in the morning, they just make two cups and the other cup is at the other end of the table and that's for their ancestors and they drink, you know, out of their own cup in the morning. So it's really going to depend on your individual living situation, what you are comfortable with. Um, and this is really also to say that this is personal for you. This, you know, people take photos of their altars and they put them all over social media and they, it's like, you know, oh, look at how beautiful my setup is. And yes, yeah, some of their setups are really gorgeous, but I can also tell by looking at some of their setups that, that, they don't know what the hell they're doing, basically, because you, 
And I can't stress this enough, especially if you're a beginner. You do not want to put any deities on your ancestral altar. Like, that is for your ancestors. Your deities will get one, and your ancestors get one. You know, if you work with Orisha or Loa, you should be initiated. You should have an elder that is guiding you working with those spirits. So you already know that some of them do not like to be below the waist some of them do you know have to have the to the tallest shelf they have to be up high you know whatever it is whoever you work with you already know those rules and if you don't know those rules you probably shouldn't be working with them and I know I sound probably a little like I'm scolding some of you because I know for a fact that people do this and then they wonder why their lives are so fucked up beyond belief and all recognition okay and it's and then they don't think that it's not you, you know when you're working with spirits they these are entities these are living you know I say the word living but they are they were once living people your ancestors were once living people if you do something to piss them off they're going to do something back to you, okay? Spirits do not give a fuck. Rule number one, spirits really don't care, okay? And same thing with your ancestors. You know, when you're talking ancestors, working with your ancestors, we're not just talking about grandma and grandpa and your parents if they're deceased. We're talking about five or six generations back, people that you probably don't even know their names, they've never met you, okay? These are people, you're talking hundreds, if not thousands of people down your family line, okay? That's what we're talking about. These are people that you may have never even heard of. Maybe they weren't the greatest people when they were alive. You know, they could have been really bad, awful people, okay? And, you know, they got cut off maybe from the rest of the family, but guess what? They're still in your bloodline. So when you're praying to your ancestors, guess what? You're elevating that person too. And if you do something to piss that person off, uh, your life's not really going to be too happy. It's not going to be too great. So my best advice is I don't want anybody to listen to this episode of the podcast and you know, use this as, oh, okay, Alex is giving you a bunch of instructions on how to do all of this. That's not what this is. This is just a general discussion. This is bringing up points that I have learned through my experiences and my um, teachings through uh, Yasmina, who is my teacher that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, okay? I'm not going to give away everything that she taught me, but I'm here to give the most basic things. It is up to you, my wonderful listener, okay, to seek out an elder, to seek out whatever spiritual path you were on. You should have somebody, like if you're going into a religion, okay, especially... Like if you're working with the Orisha, you should have a Babaleo. If you're going to work with Loa, you should have a, a priestess or a priest. If you're working, going to go into Santeria, you should have an elder. Okay, this is not 
stuff that you can just dabble in here and dabble in there. Okay? This is serious stuff. There are spirits. You, you there are some religious religions, okay, in that in that sector. Their spirits don't like each other. So if you have a statuette of one spirit of a Loa and another spirit of an Orisha, meanwhile back in Africa where where these um religions really originated because they're considered ATR or ADRs, African traditional religions or African diasporic religions, okay? They were like two separate tribes. They hated each other. So you really need to be careful when you're working with spirits. That's why me, I personally, I work with my ancestors because you you have to be careful when you're working with your ancestors because you have ancestors. Guess what? You have ancestors in your family line that have never met you. You never met what, them. And guess what? They don't like you. Straight up. You can have somebody five generations back, your great-great-grandparent, they just they just hate your ass. And that's it. And you have to deal with that. I mean, as long as you develop a closer relationship with your with your other ancestors, they'll block the 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 bullshit from that one. But if you piss all of them off, like if you start venerating them and then you just take decide to like take a break, oh, and you, you know, just say, hey, this isn't really working for me. If you skip your ancestors and, and go to something else, good luck, my friend. Good luck. Because you're going to need it. Because that's all that you'll have if you're, if you're actually lucky. Okay. So let's see. Do a quick recap. We talked about what ancestral veneration is. We discussed... Um, what should go on on an ancestral altar? I went on a tirade about having an elder and having <laughs> someone to look over you to make sure you don't mess up your life. Um, let's see. Okay, so the next part I would say is um, for offerings on your altar. Let's say, okay, let's say you're going, you, you, you have a space you have an altar, okay, and you have your pictures of your ancestors up, and maybe, like you said, you have maybe some rosary beads, or, you know, you have a memento from one of your d deceased family members up there that reminds you of them, things like that. What are the things should be there? You know, I keep mentioning uh, mentioning offerings. What are offerings? It's just that. Every day, you should... Set aside time, whether it's in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, whatever your schedule allows you. Every single day, you should sit by your altar, or you know, if you have a mobile altar, or if you have no altar, you should pray and meditate with your ancestors. You should pray for them, okay? And you should welcome them, establish the relationship with them, okay? The more you do this, this has to be every single day. This is not a joke. Every single day, it's it, you're building this relationship with them, okay? It's so vital. This is, like I said, this is not something that, okay, every Sunday at 2.15 when it's a full moon, I'm going to light candles. And, like You can make it a ritual. You could do all that fancy shit for the gram, 
your ancestors don't give a shit about Instagram. They don't care about your follower count. They don't care about how many clients you have or anything like that. They want to build a relationship with you, the person. So you have to set aside that time daily and meditate and pray with them. Okay, so when you're doing that, that's a good time to bring them an offering. You could start off slow in the beginning. Ancestors like water. Everything needs water. Guess what? Ancestors need water. Give them a clean glass of water. Put it on your altar. And you can say, you know, I come to you to, to build my relationship and I respect you and I'm giving you this, this offering of a glass of water. Leave it up there. And, you know, do your prayer, your meditation, and look at the water. Sometimes I think you'll, you'll be very surprised at what you see. If it bubbles, that's a really great sign. That means that they're there, they've heard your prayers, they're welcoming to you. If it fogs up, it means nothing bad. It just means usually that they don't really... Sometimes it means that they don't really like the thing that you're offering them. Like, if you, um, like for example, if I've given my ancestors a kind of wine that they don't like, like my ancestors prefer red over white wine, but sometimes I only have white to give them. So I'll give them white and it'll bubble a little bit and then it looks like a little hazy. I know that they're like, really really you couldn't go and get me a glass of red and I'm like no really I could not get you a glass of red I'm sorry they were out you know what I mean or they didn't have the the kind that they like they're picky they're living beings so you know I'm like listen you know you'll you'll get your red wine next time I promise just if you don't like it I'll take it off but just enjoy okay so it's things like that. If it's foggy and this in your beginning, don't take it as a bad sign. Just keep doing it. If it's foggy and you are just beginning and you took a few days off, that's a sign, not necessarily that they're going to punish you, but they're kind of side-eyeing you a little bit. They're kind of like, listen, are you really serious about this? Because you, you can't just give me a glass of water like once a month and you know what I mean? Like we're not sea monkeys, okay? Like we need attention here, okay? So like I said, glasses of water. I also mentioned wine. So now you are going to have to go based on this is going to be a journey for you. Whether you want it to be or not, that's why I'm saying it's a lifelong commitment. I told you this episode is going to be long. I know I'm already over 30 minutes. This is really important though. You have to go, it's going to go based on how you were brought up. It's going to go based on your culture, your cultural beliefs, your religious beliefs, what your ancestors' religious beliefs were. Like for example, my father's side of the family was Catholic. My mother's side was Pentecostal. They're both Christian. So I do sometimes read from the Bible to them because they liked it. Whether or not I, it does, it's not really about you. It is, but it's not. Just because I may not believe everything in the Bible, let's say for an example, as a hypothetical example, doesn't mean that my ancestors feel the same way. They were raised in a religion. 
It goes back hundreds of years in, in the case of my father's side, okay? The Maltese were, were, have been Catholics since St. Paul was shipwrecked there, okay? It's a huge thing. 95% of the country is, is Catholic. So guess what? Like I said, I have some of my grandma's rosary beads. The rosary beads up, are up there. I'll say an Our Father. I'll say a Hail Mary. I'll pray for them. Um, occasionally, I will go to a Catholic church and light a candle for them as well. Um, I will read verses from the Bible for them sometimes when I say a prayer. Okay, just like, for example, if you were raised Jewish, okay, what are some things? Maybe you can get, you know, for the high holy days, like for Hanukkah, you could put a tiny little menorah on there with them. You know, maybe your grandfather or your uncle, you know, depending on your sect, they had a shawl or a yarmulke, you know, that, that you have a good memory with or that that was like their favorite one or whatever. You can put that up there. You're going to customize your altar to your family and to your life and to your culture. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Oh, so food offerings. I'll go back to that. So my family is Mediterranean. So wine is a big thing. So occasionally, you know, like once a week or once every other couple of weeks, I've, I haven't really been able to do it lately because I've been in the process of moving, but I will give them a glass of wine. They love their wine. My ancestors love their wine. I had ancestors that liked to smoke cigars. So guess what? I put a cigar up there. I don't like, I personally don't light it because I don't, I have smoke detectors in, in my place and it'll, they'll set them off. They're very sensitive, but I give them the cigar. The, the intent is there, you know? I used to maybe take a puff or two to do it, but it got to be too crazy. I give them a, the cigar. I give them money. That's the other thing. Let's talk about uh, ancestor money really quick. So unless you are Chinese or I don't know if Koreans do it or Japanese do, if you are of an Asian culture where you actually, it is in your culture to go to a shrine and to burn money for your ancestors, you don't have to do that. That is not your culture. Ancestor money is, you don't have to do that. What you can do, and what I have for mine, one of the things, is um, I have like a little collection for them. And I give them money that way. I have like a, I have a nice collection going for them. Sometimes, you know, when they really help me out of a, of a situation that I really need help with, I'll give them dollar bills. I'll give them higher denomination dollar bills. Um, usually pretty much almost every day or every other day, I give them brand new shiny pennies whenever they love shiny coins, brand new coins. So they have all the brand new pennies. Start with pennies, you know, and this is stuff for beginners. So once you start feeling established and you feel comfortable, you're going to develop a relationship with your ancestors. And that's why I said med- daily meditation and prayer with them is so important because you're going to start having that connection with them that you're going to know when they want something and you're going to know what they want because you're going to feel the pull to give it to them and to do it. 
okay? You're going to have that bond. You're going to have that connection, okay? But it is up to you to meditate and pray with them daily so that you can build that connection with them. Because maybe you'll just get like a little funny tingly feeling. You're like, I don't know what this is. And it could be them trying to get your attention to communicate with you. Okay. Um, other offerings you can give them. Okay. So one thing I like to do for the holidays. And one of the reasons why I <laughs> am happy that I'm living on my own. Is because my family thought I was crazy. Because they would see me bring a small plate of food upstairs. Um, on the holidays. The holidays were really big in my family. We would all get together. Um, since my elders have passed away, the holidays really, on in all honesty, they're just really not the same without them. Um, so what I do is I have a, they have their own, guess what? They have their own plate. I have a small little, you know, a nice plate for them. And when it's the holidays, when it's Thanksgiving, when it's Christmas, guess what I do? I fix them a plate and I bring it upstairs and I would put it on my altar. So now when it comes to food offerings, okay, you can leave it. You don't have to, this is not something that you can, you don't have to leave on all like for a month. If you're giving them, like for example, my holiday example, I would usually leave the food up there for maybe about an hour, an hour and a half. I would give it to them. I would pray, let them, you know, like, like the course of a regular meal. And then I would take it down. Um, my family loves sweets. Oh my God. We all have sweet tooths. So guess what? I give them little sweets here and there. I give them chocolate. I put candies out there. I'll give them fruit. Um, some people like, for example, if you work with certain orishas, they like certain foods. They like certain fruits. So that's what you can put up there. Now, obviously, you're not going to, you know, leave it up there till it rots, you know. If you put like a little snack, I was always told um, to take like a nibble. Like when I bring them their plate of their food, I take a little bit. And I and I nibble on it. I eat it, and it's basically to say like this is can this is like a connection for us, and so here's your portion, and here it is, and enjoy. It's really delicious. Thank you for, you know, partaking, and then you give it to them. Uh, coffee in the morning is something I don't really drink coffee, um, but I will make them a cup of coffee in a mug and I will place the mug on my altar and you know that's so I give them the coffee and then I meditate in the mornings I don't I personally do not drink coffee I know I some of you probably are like what the heck but I just don't I I love the smell of it I just never like the taste um anyway so they all drank coffee so they get coffee so now some of you may be thinking you know, when I was talking about wines and cigars, you know, well, you know, Allie, I had a grandparent or a great grandparent who was a smoker and they died of lung cancer. Or I had an uncle that I really want to venerate, but he was an alcoholic. Is it appropriate for me to give these offerings on their altar? Yes, give it to them. 
You know why? Because they're physically already dead. So you're not causing them harm by giving them something that they like. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I understand the hesitation because they might, these are things that caused pain and suffering and grief potentially while they were alive, but they are in the afterlife now. It's not going to affect them the same way. Okay. If you had a grandparent that loved cigarettes, that just was like a chain smoker, give them a couple cigarettes, give them a cigar, you know, whatever they liked, give it to them. You know, don't worry about the alcoholism, you know, if you're only giving them one glass, you're not giving them a six pack. Okay. So these are things that they liked. These are things that they enjoyed while they were alive. There's, they still want them in death, in the afterlife. So you're not causing the, I understand, like I said, the, the hesitation, but it, it, you're not causing them harm. You're not lowering their vibration or anything like there you you the best way how I look at it is they never really leave you like I said they are within you they are a part of you they're just not physically here in the same plane of existence that we are they're still people and they well you know (laughs) I know they're still people they're just not physically people (laughs) but it's true they they just are on a different plane of existence they didn't completely change they didn't um stop being who they were to you you know they're just around you in a plane of existence that we can't see that we can't unfortunately hear or touch so they still like the things that they like. Like I said, I mean, I have, I have family. Okay. So I have a a family member who's deceased, who was a diabetic, but she loved her sweets. Guess what? I give her her sweets. Cause you know why? She's not a diabetic anymore. So now she can actually enjoy it without any of those consequences. So, Hey, why not? So now, you have your altar set up, you're getting into the habit of meditating and daily, uh, praying with them daily, and you're getting the hang of offerings. So what are other things that you should do with your ancestors? Um, think of them. Uh, other ways that you can honor your ancestors depending on your culture if you belong to a culture that celebrates All Saints Day or Day of the Dead you can you know you honor them in that way as well Um, if it's like a birthday you can you know give them like a treat that way Um, if it's the anniversary of their passing you can honor them that way as well um, one thing that I'm kind of sad about that I moved is, uh, I'm no longer near my, uh, my ancestors' graves, um, anymore in the cemetery that, uh, two generations were buried in. Um, what I used to do is at least once a month, I would go to the cemetery, I would, uh, garden, I would spruce it up a little bit. We're allowed to plant flowers in my cemetery by the graves as long as they're not a certain height, um, or type of plants um we can do like perennials and stuff 
So I would clean up the weeds. I would clean it up. Um, I, because we all loved the ocean and the beach and stuff, what I did last summer is I collected a bunch of uh, seashells and I actually, it's cute, um, I actually created like a little perimeter around their graves made out of seashells. I had gotten inspired. I had seen somebody do something similar and I felt like it would look really beautiful and it does. And now they have like their own like little like fence and garden there and it's beautiful. Um, there are so many things, you know, you're going to honor your ancestors. The most important thing is you're going to honor your ancestors with your life and how you live your life. Okay. Um, you are going to be a good person. You're going to be kind. You're going to be compassionate. Um, all ancestors want, uh, progeny of the family line. They want you to have children. So if having children is your thing, get on that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, but it is true. They, they like the continuation of the family line. If having children is not your thing, that's okay. You're not making them upset. Maybe some of them you are, but they just got a deal. Okay. They live their life. You got to live yours, but you know, you are their legacy. So you are going to honor them by living your life honorably. Above everything, you are the manifestation of your ancestors' wildest dreams. Okay? And I will admit, there are times where I have felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I, <laughs> like I felt like I was an embarrassment to them. And I felt like, you know, I would think of things that my grandparents and my great grandparents would tell me about their childhoods and their young adulthoods. And, you know, just thinking of the things in history that they survived, you know, my, um, my grandfather came from Malta and he came to the United States in 1950s. So this was after World War II. And what a lot of people don't know is Malta was bombed, was the most heavily bombed nation during that war. We actually were bombed more than England and Germany were um, for about a solid two years. Um, and, you know, my grandfather was a young man during this time. And I just went, came back from Malta, but I remember the last time I went there was in 2003. I was 12 or 13 years old and I had always asked him, you know, like, what was it like, you know, during the war? Like, what was it like growing up here, like there? And when I finally got to go with him and I met all of my family there and his siblings and everything, and I was just so happy Um, There was one time it was, I was in the car with my grandfather and his, one of his brothers-in-law was driving. And as we were driving, um, we saw like it, I don't know how to describe it other than it looked like it was a big solid like rock wall, limestone rock wall. And it looked like there was like a little door on the side of it. 
and he pointed it out to me. My uncle Joe pointed it out to me and he goes, that was one of our bomb shelters during the war. He's like, so when the air raid sirens would go off, you know, you would run from wherever you were into, into the shelter. And I just was like, oh, you know, my grandfather had never mentioned it. I mean, I kind of figured that they had created some forms of shelter for the people, but it was like seeing it in real life. My grandfather was so upset with my brother-in-law. Like he was yelling, they were yelling at each other in Maltese. So at the time I couldn't understand what he was saying. Um, but oh my God, (laughs) he was, he was upset. And, you know, so that made me think of all of the things that he saw that he went through and made me appreciate him more, you know, how strong he was that he survived that he survived seeing his people and his homeland being destroyed. And he saw his people starving in the streets because of the blockade of the port. And he saw all of these horrific things And he was strong enough after that to pack a suitcase and sail across the Atlantic Ocean to a country where he'd never been before. And all of his family stayed behind. And I just, I admire that, you know? And so that's something that I, as you go through this journey, you are going to grow so much as a person. Because I know I have. I've been doing this only for about a year and a half, two years now. And I know I've grown so much. And, you know, when I think about that, those kinds of things, you know, in my family line, all those different stories and struggles that they went through, you really, it really puts a lot of, of your life, your own life into perspective. So now if you're somebody that may be dealing with drug addiction or alcohol addiction, or if you feel that something going on in your life is a generational curse, you know, if you're one of those people that, you know, believe that it, you know, it's manifested into something physical, you know, like, let's say you have drug issues, your siblings have drug issues, a parent had drug issues, their siblings, it just went through the family lines, you know, getting in touch with yourself and with your family line is only going to help you heal those traumas and break that cycle. It's a very powerful thing. Ancestral veneration and this is absolutely meant with absolutely no disrespect to anybody who takes up uh, a different spiritual path where whether you get initiated into a religion, you know, I respect to you because I don't think I could ever do it. This message is meant for the people that feel that they can dabble in different disciplines and work with different spirits, Okay. If you develop a proper relationship with your ancestors, you don't have to work with any spirits. You don't have to do any spell work. We're, I'm recording this in October. I don't remember the last time I lit a candle for anything other than to blow it out on a birthday cake. It's been a while. You know why? Because my ancestors and I are strong as heck and we have a good relationship and they love me 
and respect me and I love and respect them more than I can even put into words. Okay. So it comes with time. The biggest takeaway is that it's personal and it comes with time. This is not something it, it, one thing I was taught was when you begin developing your relationship with your ancestors, you should pray and sit with them daily every single day for a year and don't ask them for a damn thing. Seriously, you sit and you pray and you meditate and you get to know them. You do not ask them for anything for an entire year. And you know what? During that year, you might find that you don't have to ask them for anything because now they've come, they you've come to them and formed a relationship with them, they might just see, hey, you know what? You're going through a rough time. They'll find the extra money for the car repair that you need. Or they'll get you out of that toxic relationship that's not good enough for you. Or they'll help you find a better job with nicer coworkers and a bigger paycheck. But you have to put in the work and you have to make that commitment to them before they make that commitment to you. Another warning that I have for newbies, I feel like this is going to just be a list of different warnings I have. Um, Your ancestors come first. And if you're listening to my podcast and maybe you started working with Orisha or Loa or... Uh, goetic spirits and things and you haven't started your ancestral veneration you better start that now um, you don't going working directly and especially if you don't have an elder or you're not initiated properly um, going from a beginner to working with very powerful spirits and bypassing your ancestors is like trying to walk up is like it's like basically like if you've ever seen the movie Rocky okay or if even if you haven't seen the movie you've all seen like the iconic clip at least on YouTube where he runs up the stairs at the end of the exercise montage okay you're basically Rocky and instead of running up the steps properly you just want to go from the ground and you're just going to jump to the top Well, guess what? You're not going to run up them successfully like Rocky did. You're going to fall flat on your face and you're going to slide all the way down to the bottom step and it's going to hurt. Your ancestors come first, 100%. And I know I've probably said this at least 10 or 11 times in this episode. I cannot stress it enough. Your ancestors come first. They are the people that you, they are the spirits that you should be building a relationship before anything else. I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many, oh God, I cannot tell you how many Facebook groups and Reddit threads or whatever, anything on social media that's related to spirituality. I cannot tell you how many horror stories and how many people I have seen post such idiotic comments and posts where they're like you know they 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 say that they're new 
and they are asking for advice and they'll say, well, you know, I did, I did a money spell and like, instead of me getting a thousand dollars, I actually now owe like $3,000 and I don't understand why because, you know, I prayed to Santa Muerte and I did this and oh, I also work with Azuli Freda and I'm also a child of Oshun and I also do all of these things and it's like, okay, are you initiated in any of these religions? Well, no, I just went on Google and I found that Oshun likes lemons and so I gave her some. Do you have a Babaleo? Well, you know, I found somebody like on Instagram, but he's like really expensive and I don't know, like, and they can't understand why their life is so messed up. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh man, I had a really good metaphor for this at one point. It's, okay, when you're working with deities, for example, and your ancestors too, because your ancestors, like I said, we're talking, we're going back generations upon generations upon generations. So you are legit like talking to people who have been around for potentially hundreds of years, right? Like they've seen some shit, right? Okay. Especially with deities, okay? These are legit like gods, demigods, you know, higher spiritual beings. When you approaching them without proper protocol meaning like if you weren't initiated in the religion that they come from or you and you are asking them it's like you going up it's like somebody you have to imagine someone coming up to you that doesn't even bother to introduce themselves they have their hands on their hips and they're looking at you and they're like listen I read online that you like I don't know, like oatmeal raisin. And so here's like a batch of oatmeal raisin cookies and a hot dog. And you need to help me make $1,000 by Friday so that I don't get evicted from my apartment. And so can you just like do that? Okay, thanks. Bye. Meanwhile, you don't eat pork and you hate oatmeal raisin. And also, you don't even know this bitch, and who the fuck are they, and why are they telling you what to do, because you've been around for, like, millennia, and fuck this person. Like, how annoyed would you be? Like, just, like, in the middle of your busy day, some jerk just comes up to you and is like, you're gonna do all of these things for me. No, bitch, now I'm gonna have fun, and I'm gonna entertain myself because you're a dumbass. Because you couldn't be bothered to get to know somebody and introduce yourself to me properly, okay? And find out what I actually like to eat and what things I actually like. And now instead of helping you, now I'm just going to mess with you because I'm going to give myself some some enjoyment out of this, okay? That's exactly what that's like. That is exactly what it is like. Don't be that person. 
I swear to God, I don't want to ever see a post anywhere where it's like, I listened to the Alley Cats Corner podcast and she's talking about ancestral veneration for a really long time and it just sounded really boring. And so instead, like what I did was I lit like a bunch of candles in the moonlight and I danced naked on the beach and then like I wore a flower crown and then I pushed a pumpkin into the river covered in honey and I hope that it's good enough no no just no do the right thing okay like honestly what's really great about ancestral veneration is the fact that it does take time to build up a relationship because guess what once that relationship is built it's unfuckwithable it is unbreakable it is unshakable it is impenetrable okay get to know your bloodline do it do that I'm telling you, you are going to, how do you think I manifest going to Malta in the first place, guys? How do you think I manifest this move? You think I, you know, yes, I put in the work for myself and I, and I got my certifications and my education. I work my behind off and I, you know, yes, I put in the work in my realm, but you don't think that my ancestors had something to do with it? Think of times where life really came through for you. You don't think your ancestors ever had something to do with that? Like, really think about things. Really think about what's going on in your life. Because I know my move, 100%, is a result of my ancestors answering my prayers. I had been miserable for a very long time. And they answered every every single one of my things that I wanted that I had prayed to them for cried begged gave them offerings for once I let go and once I actually just trusted them and trusted that whatever direction my life whatever wherever they were turning me that was where I was meant to go guess what it worked out and now I had I just saw my family in Malta again for the first time in 16 years and do you have any idea how happy I am and all of the things I did I I venerated my ancestors while I was on this trip okay there are some things I did that were very personal that I really won't share one of them was I visited the graves of my great-grandparents of my grandfather's parents because this is where they're where, where they are and I cried and I and it wasn't even sad tears it was happy tears it was tears of joy it was like I'm meeting these people for the first time in my life it was beautiful so what I'm telling you this what the biggest thing I want you to take away is I don't want you to listen to this podcast with a notebook and take notes and say like how to venerate your ancestors how to build an altar altar how to give your ancestors offerings how to manifest you know i'm giving this to you straight 100 percent, no chaser i'm not giving you a clickbaity you know headline where it's like how to manifest your dream life in a year it's not like that this is a journey 
life is a journey. The afterlife is a journey. Okay? You are going to learn so much about yourself, so much about your family doing this. I can't even begin to describe. And you know what? You are going to be on solid ground. This is your foundation. It's going to be rock freaking solid. No one is going to be able to mess with you. No one is going to be able to, uh, you know, tell you nothing. Once you have that bond with your ancestors, they will always look out for you. One thing I do want to just go back really quick and touch upon is um, I mentioned that you will have ancestors that don't like you. How do you deal with it? Um, Just like in life, there's always going to be people that for absolutely no reason at all don't like you. Um, You can try everything in the world to try and appease them, but they may simply just not like you. Um, One reason for ancestors not liking you is that there are conflicts in the bloodline. Now, what does that mean? That sounds like some hippy-dippy bullshit, but it's true. Um, For example, uh, people that are mixed race, okay, especially in the United States of America, Um, where there was slavery, obviously. Um, People that, I'm not going to say biracial, just if you're mixed race, if you're mixed black and white, depending on, you know, your ancestral bloodline, you're going to have people on your white side of the family that are disgusted that, you know, they had a descendant that had sex with, you know, a slave, Basically, you know, that's how they view the other side. And you're going to have people on your African side, they're going to be disgusted that they had a descendant that slept with their, you know, their, their owner, the person that abused them beyond belief. And it was horrifying and created these atrocities. Okay. That's an example. Um, I know in my line, because I'm half Italian and half Maltese, there are some Maltese people that don't like Italians and vice versa because we've been conquered by so many uh, different countries and especially during the, the last big world war, Italy bombed the crap out of Malta and tried to starve us all to death. Um, so I I know that there are some... Some people in my family line on both sides that aren't happy. Um, you know, so it, it comes with, like I said, knowing your culture. Okay. It could be because there's conflicts in the bloodline. And, you know, sometimes it's not even necessarily a cultural thing. Um, you know, like let's say like if you're of Irish descent, but you're also of English descent. Well, there was a lot of conflict for a long ass time between the English and the Irish, right? Okay. Um, sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's just that ancestor maybe didn't like anybody. 
Maybe they just don't like you. Maybe it's a personality conflict. You know, like I said, in life, you go through life, there are some people that just don't like you. And you go through life and you meet some people and you just give them one look and you just are like, oh, I don't like this person. It is what it is. So you can't, um, don't worry about it. You can't uh, focus on it. Um, the only thing that you can really do is to just pray to your other ancestors and just, you know, hey, look out for me. And most of the time they'll foil. You know, it's not like your your bad ancestors are really going to like fuck with your life, you know, to where like you're dead. You know, it's nothing like that. It's more like they'll play tricks on you. They'll get your application lost in the mail. They'll mix something up. They'll text your ex. You know what I mean? Like they'll do they'll do shit to like annoy you. Um but your benevolent ancestors will always have your back. Always. All right. I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Uh do a little brief interlude in the podcast grab some water, stretch. Um, And when I come back, the next segment and most likely the final segment of this episode is going to be uh, for my listeners that may not know their ancestors, either through adoption, family strife, etc. How do you venerate your ancestors when you may not know who they are? Okay, so to top it all off, what do you do if you're adopted or if you only know maybe your immediate family? You know, some of us, there's familial strife and we don't really know anything about our extended family, like our grandparents or our great-grandparents or anything. So how do you honor your ancestral line if you don't know anything about them? So there are two ways that you can go about this. And whichever way you choose is going to be completely dependent upon you and what you feel comfortable doing. And I don't believe that there is a wrong answer. So the first way you can do it um, is... You can, it, like, let's say if you want to get more in touch with what you feel are your cultural traditions, you can do something like 23andMe or Ancestry tests to see, you know, where you come from. Now, obviously, this may not really be all that accurate for my African American listeners, um, you know, just because it tells you what uh, general country you're from it doesn't necessarily mean what uh tell you what tribe and things like that and uh, as you know all tribes have different you know a lot of the tribes have different uh and you know ways of worship deities etc but you know that is a that it's a way that you can uh you can start however i will caution you um against this now obviously you know there's privacy concerns about what they do with your dna data once you submit it to that to these companies and um as a personal example so i 
submitted my DNA to Ancestry. Um, because even though I know I'm of Maltese descent, you know, Malta has a very rich history. We've been conquered and colonized by everybody. And I was just curious, you know, where most of my genetics came from. I was curious what wave, I guess, my family was from. And um, when I first took it, my results, this was like a few years ago, Ancestry actually separated Maltese and Italian. Italian. Now, it just says Italian. And as any person who's Maltese will know, yeah, our language is similar to Italian and some of our, you know, foods and stuff are Italian, but we are very much not Italian. So I thought that that was kind of silly. Um, also for my adopted listeners, you know, you might not be ready to take a DNA test and now find out, you know, find a biological family member that you never knew existed. That's a possibility as well. So, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with that, that's totally fine. I have people who have gone about it that way and they just like to get a sense of culturally where their ancestors were from so that when they decorate their altar, they can put, um, you know, like little totems or items on there to represent them, you know, in a way that they can connect with. Because regardless of whether or not you know your line, you're still going to, you know, venerate them and meditate with them the same way that you would if you did know them. You know, you're, it, it, that, that doesn't matter. You know, the second way to go about it is and this is advice given to me by a very good friend of mine who goes this way is, you know, you don't need photos or physical items on your altar either. You know, a reminder that an altar in its simplest form is just a dedicated space for them. You can pray, meditate, call upon your ancestors without knowing them because they know you. They are within you. And as you build your relationship with them, you're going to learn their likes and this and their dislikes and what they want as offerings and what they don't. You know, like um, one of the most common signs that they like an offering is like when you pour like a glass of wine or a glass of water, it bubbles, you know. And, you know, that just because it bubbles, you know, just because, sorry, it doesn't bubble doesn't mean that they didn't like it either, you know. But like I said, is as you start this journey, you're going to they're, they are going to make themselves known to you. You know, your ancestors go back generations, okay? And so even for those of us who know some of our extended family, like I know the names going back three or four generations, five generations from myself, that doesn't mean we. I know everyone in my family line. Like you're talking centuries back, at least a century back, a century and a half, two centuries, etc., those are all still your ancestors and those are still people in your family line, you know, but we still honor and respect them. Even though I don't know them, I still honor and respect them. You know, they will come forward to you and, uh, you know, if you 
want to pray to them, one of the things you could say as an example is, I'm calling the ancestors I don't know and have never met in my life. When you are praying to honor them and to elevate them and to bring them peace in the afterlife, that is something that you can say. You know, all of my ancestors that I don't know and I have never met in my life, that they know that you're talking to them. And like I said, even though you don't know them, they know you. They know what you need. And ancestors like to propagate the family line. So, uh, you know, above everything else, you know, they, you, you have ancestors that you've never met that love you. You know, just like I had said earlier, you have ancestors that you never met or that don't like you. The opposite is is strongly, it's heavily true. So don't feel pressured. I feel like there's a lot of pressure, and I've mentioned this before, where, you know, there's like this pressure on in our, in like this community to have like the Pinterest picturesque altar, you know, with all these decorations and all these offerings and you know, all of the, then you're like a style. And you know what, if, if that makes you feel better and more confident, Hey, that's awesome. You know, but just know, you know, for those of us that aren't really that inclined, doesn't have to be that way. You know, as long as you have a space, you know, for example, like, you know, if you travel, you can bring your ancestral altar with you. You know, there are, people I know that have been homeless and still venerated their ancestors and got that got them through their rough time. You know, um, I think I mentioned earlier that some, I knew someone that had a, a portable altar in an Altoid mint tin, you know, if you travel, you know, not necessarily internationally, because obviously it's kind of difficult to bring some of these items on the plane with you. But if you travel, just bring a candle or maybe like if your ancestors were Catholic and you're Catholic and you have a rosary bead, even if you just hold that in your hand and you use it to to physically connect. You don't need physical items or photos, but if it helps you and that's what you want to do, it's up to you. Remember, the first rule of this really is it's all personal. It's all what you feel comfortable doing. So don't feel pressured by anybody, you know, obviously, unless you're going into into a specific tradition and an elder is telling you, hey, this is how you have to set this up. Otherwise, then don't worry about it. But, you know, if you're doing this on your own, then you have to do what is best for you and what you feel most comfortable with. that's about it for this episode of Alley Cat's Corner. Um, I know I've been kind of quiet, but uh, I wanted to get this episode up. Um, I'm in the middle of a big move out of state to a new city, new adventure, new job, new everything. I'm very excited. And I just really wanted to get this episode up uh, because of the, the timeliness of it, especially, you know, like in my culture, All Saints Day is coming up and that's a big um, veneration holiday and celebration we do. Um, I hope if you are completely new to this, that this episode inspired you to 
you know, start doing ancestral veneration and thinking more family-centered. Um, Alley Cat Reiki should be up and operational by January of 2020. I'm sort of taking the holidays off to spend time with my family um, during this transition. And that's about it. So if I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. Again, I would just like to say that, you know, what I say is not really gospel. These are the things that I was taught by my elders and teachers and things that I have learned along the way of what worked for me and what doesn't work for me. So, you know, like I have stressed throughout this episode, it's personal. What works for you is going to work for you. It may not work for me. It may not work for somebody else that you know. And that's what matters. So, all right, guys, take care until next time.